Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 20th. How would a second Donald Trump presidency impact Canada? That was the focus of this week's edition of the West Block on Global Television. We discuss what another term of Trump in the Oval Office would look like for our nation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. How critical is the HPV vaccine in reducing the risk of HPV-related cancers like cervical cancer? We hear details on the latest stats on the vaccine from Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, earlier this month, tech giant Apple announced what was expected to be a new category of product, the Apple Vision Pro. Well, it turns out that two weeks into the launch, many of the headsets have been returned. We caught up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for details on why the much-hyped product isn't getting the reception Apple was expecting. Well, could alliances like NATO or even NORAD be threatened by a second Trump presidency? Joining us to discuss is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Good morning and welcome back to the program, Mercedes. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, you spoke with advisor to former President Trump, John Bolton. Now, does he believe Mr. Trump's uh, threat to pull out of NATO is legitimate? And, and how big of an issue would this be? So he believes that Trump is absolutely serious about this. He doesn't think that it's grandstanding or an idle threat. In fact, he says that when he worked for Donald Trump and he was in the room with him, he was intent on pulling out of NATO at one point in particular. So he thinks this is very real. He says Donald Trump doesn't really understand or believe in the importance of collective defense. He thinks that America does everything anyhow. And so if they'll defend a country, they'll do it because it's in America's interests and not because they're required to do so because of an alliance. He said he also has a very simplistic view of sort of transaction in defense, that if people aren't putting the money in that, that he wants to see in there and in this case that NATO says you're supposed to be putting in at 2% of GDP, then he'll just pull the plug on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the consequences of that would be huge because the backbone of NATO is the United States. They are, of course, the superpower. They're the ones who have all of the equipment and the troops exponentially more than anybody else in NATO. Um, and for Canada in particular, we would have some pretty serious consequences in terms of our security and sovereignty. But he warned that, you know, despite Bill Blair, who told me he's not worried about this, he said, look, I work for Donald Trump. I'm happy to sit down and talk to any politician who thinks he's not serious about this threat. As we know, Donald Trump can do things that are, uh, I guess, considered the unexpected at times. Um, Obviously, you were talking to John Bolton on the West Block this past weekend. Does he talk about at all how close Trump is to Russian President uh, Putin? So he says, yeah, they, they kind of have like this friendship. And he says that Donald Trump often will conflate uh, friendship or liking a leader with a positive relationship for that country. And that concerns him because he says he does not believe what I believe he called hard men like Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping in China will ever let a friendship or an affection for a particular leader get in the way of the interests of their country. Um, but he said, you know, he, he does um, have a close relationship with, with Vladimir Putin in many ways. And obviously that is a concern for people, particularly we were discussing this uh, as we were getting the news uh, just a couple of days later that uh, Alexei Navalny had been, um, you know, we, we, I guess he's a murderer. We don't know what happened to him. But we know he died, right? And he was Putin's biggest critic. And he died in uh, a Russian camp that was very far north. Mm-hmm. So obviously a lot of concern there over Vladimir Putin being emboldened, although him killing, of course, um, opposition members is nothing new in Russia. 
Uh, Mercedes, we've heard the reports over the past handful of years that uh, Canada isn't spending enough on defense compared to our allies. So what kind of a uh, pressure is our nation under to increase defense spending at this point? Well, a lot, but I don't know that it'll necessarily meet it. Um, we're spending, I believe, and I have to double-check the number, but I'm pretty sure it's 1.38% of GDP. We're nowhere near um, the $2 billion. It would be about $18 billion more a year. Uh, pardon me, 2%, not $2 billion. 2%, which would be about $18 billion more a year, which is a lot of money. And a lot of governments will calculate that out and say that um, they simply don't believe it will win them elections. So they're going to put that $18 billion somewhere else. The concern, of course, is that as the world becomes a more, you know, dangerous place where we're seeing an aggressive Russia, an aggressive China, where our military is dealing with everything from fires and floods to threats to our national security, that there's not enough people, not enough money. The defense minister assured me that they are going to be spending more, but he wouldn't say how much, where, and he wouldn't say whether it's going to meet the 2%, but frankly, if they do... I'd be shocked because no government has met that for a very long time mm-hmm. in Canada. And I mean, really, for the most part, we're uh, peacekeepers when it comes to our Canadian military. Might that change? Is there any indication that that could be changing in the near future? So I would say that that's a common misconception. But we actually haven't been involved in peacekeeping in a significant way since the Balkans. And if you talk to people who were in the Balkans, they were consistently shot at. They were troops in contact all the time. Um, it looked a lot more like sitting between the middle of a war where neither party wanted us there. And, and this sort of myth of the Canadian peacekeepers is part of what is built up, the idea that we don't need to spend much on defense. The reality of the First World War, the Second World War, Korea, uh, Afghanistan, Operation Impact in Iraq is much more common to what the Canadian military finds itself in every so many years when we're talking full all-out wars. And historically, we're not prepared. We haven't spent the money, we never have the people, and it's always a scramble. Um, but but because we sort of told ourselves this story that sounds nice, that we're peacekeepers so we don't need that much, even if we were, we'd have to spend the money. But um, I can tell you that there is a very, very small number we're talking likely in the dozens, if even that, of Canadians who are on peacekeeping missions right now. Mercedes, I know that, you know, we're still very much, we have a chance for some snow flurries a little later um, uh, next week, I think, here in the city of Calgary. Not out of the cold yet, still winter, uh, but we're getting closer to spring. Are we expecting to see things ramp up federally when it comes to, you know, maybe some early campaigning from these uh, uh, major parties? Well, one of the big things we're looking at is the budget, which typically comes down in March, and we know that Christopher Freeland has been in pre-budget consultation. So uh, that is, in a way, a form of campaigning because it shows you what they're going to be putting their money into. Uh, the big question for the Liberals and the NDP about which direction to go in when we're talking campaigning is whether the Liberals are going to come through with their pharmacare promise to the NDP. The NDP wants a single-payer system, which is all drugs, a lot of money, basically everyone, and the Liberals are saying, no, we'll look at certain medications. So they're a long way apart, and by the way, the deadline Doug Meet Singh has given for that deal to expire is March 1st. So we're not very far from that. Um, so I'm going to watch to see what happens with that and then what happens with the budget. I think you'll see people out on the road more. I'd argue Pierre Polyev is very much already campaigning, and that you are seeing the Liberals start to do that with things like rebranding the carbon tax rebate last week. It's showing sensitivity because the program isn't changing at all, but a sensitivity to the name to try to make people find it perhaps more palatable.
Mercedes, thanks so much for the update. Appreciate it on this short week, work week. Hope you had a wonderful family day long weekend. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mercedes Stevenson, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. It's time to check in with our on-call family physician, Dr. Ted Jablonski. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. I know this is something that you're quite passionate about, so we wanted to get into the topic of the HPV vaccine, how it's affecting women's health. There's some new stats out there that I think are quite fascinating and really important that we get out. Yeah, the stats are coming from Scotland that essentially on an aggressive immunization program, you can wipe out essentially cervical cancer. This is not news. Australia showed us this data 20 years ago, but it's now taken this long to get into other countries, to get around the world, and to have um, some countries take very aggressive stances on immunization and to see what their stats actually show over time. So Scotland has just shown us this data. The data is exactly what we expected, and the data is amazing. They've essentially cured cervical cancer in Scotland by just immunizing against it. Very interesting. I want to bring it back to you because, you know, when we throw the term HPV out there, Mm. it seems to me that when I was growing up, you know, in the 80s, for example, we barely heard anything about it. Is it new or is this something that we've lasered in on and focused in on over the past couple of decades? So it's not new, but I think the implications of it are new. So uh, at least 20 years ago, we started making connections that this virus uh, is a vector for cervical cancer. Uh, And that connection was made. We were using it in cervical uh, screening programs. Now we realize that HPV, that virus can also cause other cancers. It's not just cervical cancer. So now we're making the link, particularly with head and neck cancers in men. So one of the leading causes of oral pharyngeal cancer, so this is back of the throat type of cancers, is HPV. It's not smoking. It's not alcohol anymore, which used to be the main things that we thought about. You know, heavy drinking, heavy smoking guys got these cancers. Now we're realizing HPV is playing a huge role. So the whole spectrum of this is growing. And that's what has us really thinking about this a lot more closely. So HPV, human papilloma virus, it is a sexually transmitted infection. Is it in all cases transmitted that way, Dr. J? And then how does it become a a, a throat and neck cancer? Uh, well, can we say this on the radio? Uh, okay, I guess it's, you answered it's my how question. You're having sex. Okay. Yeah, so it's for the most part they they the stats are like 95% sexually uh, transmitted. This is how this virus gets moved around. So for cervical cancer, sort of makes sense. This is um, your standard, traditional version of sex. Uh, Oral cancers is oral sex. And um, very common in our population. And this is how it's now being spread very commonly. You know, I know that, you know, as a, a parent with girls, we're in the school system and now, you know, in graduating high school, there was an opportunity when it came to, you know, the vaccination back in the day. Has that picked up? How has adoption been when it comes to vaccination, particularly among the younger set? So we've, we've come all over the map on this one. Uh, we were doing very well. And then there was uh, sort of the, the, the church, the bishop sort of making a decree. And then we lost a huge amount of traction at that time slowly built it back, COVID comes, (laughs) immunization, immunization. There's a fatigue about immunization. So we've lost a bit of traction again where people are just tired of getting shots. And and so uh, I don't know what the stats are in the schools, but I think it's around 60%. 
that's not good. That's actually not good enough. Stats tell us if you can immunize over 75% of the population, you'll actually make a significant dent on cancer risk. Now we're just talking cervical cancer in girls. You have to get about 75%. If you're just immunizing girls alone, not boys, you need more than 90%. So that's those are stats are tough to get. So right now, sitting at sixty percent, we're losing. We're we're going to see cervical cancer in our country until we get it better. HPV vaccine offered to boys and girls. Is there any evidence of any negatives or drawbacks from this vaccine? That some kids might faint after getting a needle in their <laughs> arm. Literally, that's there's this has actually been amongst the mo- the safer of vaccines. There's. There's very, very little, like we don't even see anaphylaxis or, you know, with any shot, there's always a, a, you know, a a possibility of a a lot of different things. This seems to be amongst the most, uh, the cleanest of vaccines out there in regards to those really nasty side effects, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can happen with flu vaccine or these weird neurologic things doesn't seem to happen in this population. So a very safe, effective vaccine uh, given in a, a uh, sort of that uh, grade six population is absolutely, absolutely perfect timing for it. All right. Thank you so much uh, for your time this morning, Dr. J and Insight. We appreciate it. You betcha. It's Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And earlier this month, Apple launched what was expected to be a new category of product and pretty awesome, maybe the next big thing, the Apple Vision Pro. Well, now the return period is over, and it turns out quite a few were actually returned. So why? Our tech expert, Mike Yanni, is joining us on this Tech Tuesday to talk about that, plus how a vision testing app has become so popular around the world, even beating out Netflix. Good morning, Mr. Mike Yanni. How are you? I am doing great. Yeah, that story about that app that came out of nowhere to test your vision, that's a juicy one. We'll have to get to that in a second. Okay, sounds good. Let's talk about this Apple Vision Pro. What's the deal? Yeah, really interesting. So it launched at the beginning of February, and there's a two-week return period, and a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen. Is expected to be the next biggest thing, but keep in mind, these are $3,500 units, so you're going to have to really like it to keep it, and turns out that people are returning Apple's mixed reality headsets. And it's for a couple of different reasons. And I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we when we first discussed Apple Vision Pro. It's heavy. It's kind of awkward when you wear it on your head for a while. Because don't forget, this is this is spatial computing. This is what Apple thinks is gonna be the next big thing. This is, you know, putting on a, a mixed reality headset and you're doing all your computer stuff through this headset, you're playing games, you're watching movies. So if you're wearing it for a long time, people saying it's too heavy. The other thing, and this is really interesting, people are complaining about nausea and headaches. Really? So it's making people hmm. sick, literally. Some some people. And, you know, I in the past have used VR headsets, and I think the, the experience is amazing. But I, too, I feel sick after about 10, 15 minutes. And, and then that's impacting some people as well with mm. the Vision Plus. So, I mean, keep in mind, you guys, this is the first iteration. This is the very first model, the first time Apple's trying this out. The first iPhone wasn't perfect either. It didn't connect to 3G. You couldn't cut and paste or copy and paste uh, on the original one. So, you know, first-gen products, they aren't perfect. And I think this one really was for the developers to really get their hands on this technology to see what they can build from it, new apps. So I think the next time around, it's expected in about 18 months, Apple will release another version. I think that might be the one that catches on when people 
prove why you need this in your life. Mm. Could the other other part of it might be in the sense that we did underscore that the two-week uh, return period is over, besides some of the, you know, the weight and maybe it being a different experience than some expected. The FOMO aspect that people wanted to try it uh, but didn't have the money so I can try it for two weeks and then return it, could that be part of it? Well, it could be part of it too, but these were kind of difficult to actually get your hands on. They're, they were super limited. They maybe made around 200,000. So it's not like an iPhone where you could just walk into the store, buy it. You had to actually make an appointment. You could test it out. So there was kind of a whole process to actually get one. Um, but I think the FOMO is definitely there for sure. All right, Mike, let's talk about this Kimmy app. Never heard of it, but it was beating out Netflix. So how so? So bizarre. So this app is a vision testing app. So it's a game-like app that shows you two pictures and you had to find the difference between the two pictures. So it was meant to test your vision. It was marketed well and it took off. It beat out Hulu and Netflix. And then it all of a sudden disappeared from the app store. Turns out Kimmy wasn't a vision testing app after all. It was actually an app that housed pirate movies, pirated movies oh, and TV shows. No that you can stream on your iOS device. So, I mean, Apple's saying the developer pulled a bait and switch. They submitted their app for approval and then uploaded a totally different <laughs> app, which obviously doesn't, you know, follow the rules and regs of the App Store. But interesting how they can get away with this. But I think the funnier thing is they didn't even try to hide it. They literally posted it. There was no, not even a title screen that made it look like it was actually a vision testing app. It was legit just a piracy app when it actually went on the store live so interesting so obviously they're banned now and you can't get the app anymore what if you had one already oh it, it will gone. it will Won't yeah work. it will be down. shut down bummer yeah. Ooh, i love a good bait and yeah, switch especially when it doesn't involve me <laughs> um okay let's talk about another uh, it's just so much to talk about including a new ai program called sora s-o-r-a um you seem pretty excited about this thing this is fascinating. We've talked about AI so much and all these things you can do with AI. So this program is a text to video program. You type in a description and the program is able to create 60 second videos just from your text. And I'm telling you guys, I've seen a couple of videos, the demos online. It's remarkable. You know, people type in, you know, astronaut movie trailer, create a movie trailer of an astronaut. And this thing goes into cr incredible detail. Even like if you typed in a type of shoe that you want this person to wear, it's in the video. But the interesting thing about this this program is it's actually not being released to the public. Any guesses why? No, because I want it. <laughs> Apparently, it's too dangerous. Because it's so too creators, good. The, yeah, the creators oh. want to kind of look at ways and assess this and how people could use this for malicious purposes, mm -hmm. because obviously you can imagine what this mm -hmm. could mean if you just have to type in a sentence and these 60 second videos are popping up. So they want to look at that. They also want to create a tool that people can use to see if videos have been created with this for the future. So you know if these are deep fakes or what's going on because these videos are so good. Oh. So it will come out, but they're trying to do their homework and say, okay, if we're going to release this to the public, how do we manage this? This is why it's, we can't have nice things, Mike. There's always somebody who's ruining the good stuff. Right? You should take a look at the videos if you have a chance online. It's fascinating what yeah. this can do. Okay. It's scary. Could, I could put you at the scene of a bank robbery with a bag of money in your hand, eh, Mike? Or worse. <laughs> or worse. Yeah. And now my mind is just racing. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool, though. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they cool. can find a way to control it because that would be pretty neat to have.
Well, that's just it. Even animators, though, 3D animators are saying, wait a minute, this is taking over our jobs. This, this shouldn't come out. So Ooh, that's a problem. That tells you something right there. Wow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, lots, uh, as mentioned, to cover this week. We appreciate your time, Mike. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too. He is Mike Yanni, known as the Gadget Guy. You can find him on social media at Gadget Guy Mike, or of course on YouTube, search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni to find his channel.